0: Hello. Welcome to the Dear Writer Podcast. I'm Sarah.
1: And I'm Ashley. We're two aspiring collaborative authors sharing our writing journey with you. The ups, the downs, and everything in between.
0: Whether you're just starting out or a more experienced writer, we hope that you'll find this podcast inspiring and thought-provoking. And here's the show. Welcome back to Dear Writer, everyone. Today, we are recording episode 102. It's another one of our author spotlight episodes, and we have Astrid VJ with us today. So Astrid
1: is a USA Today bestselling author who writes under the fantasy genre. She focuses on stories with relatable characters as they overcome adversity in their lives. Outside her writing life, Astrid is a social anthropologist and a transformational life coach. Astrid was born and raised in South Africa, but now lives in Sweden with her husband and their two children. So it's really great to have you on the show, Astrid.
0: Welcome. Thank you. And it's really great to be here. So how we like to begin these Author Spotlight interviews is by talking firstly about how you got started writing and when you decided to pursue it more seriously and thinking about getting um, your books published. I started writing when I was 12. I loved fantasy.
2: It was definitely the genre I read the most at the time. But as a child growing up in multicultural South Africa, I was very, very upset by the very whiteness of fantasy at the time. And I wanted to read something different and ended up writing what I wanted to read. So all of my characters are people of color and I have actually drawn on what I've learned as a social anthropologist to increase the cultural diversity in my writing Mm -hmm. and in the worlds that I create. Uh, As for the publishing thing, I, Convinced myself during my late teens that pursuing a career as a writer was not going to be the way forward for me. (laughs) So that's why I ended up studying social anthropology and psychology. Continued on with social anthropology because I was really good at it.
1: (laughs) Totally get that.
2: Mm -hmm. And as the years passed, I stopped writing and things got difficult And work took a lot of my time and then I eventually realized that not writing actually didn't make me happy so I should keep writing and then my mom suggested I do a course you know in transformation and you know it's like achieving success it's called the ultimate success masterclass And while I was doing that, I realized that, you know, I have all these books I've written. I might as well just go ahead and publish them or at least try because Mm -hmm. I would regret it if I didn't do it. So when I was on maternity leave with my second child, I did the process and worked out that if it had taken me 20 years to believe in my own work, I was not going to try and convince some traditional publisher <laughs> to, <laughs> to take me on, especially since, you know, modern technology just makes self-publishing possible. Yeah. And I do have a degree in English. I, back when I studied psychology and anthropology, I kind of didn't want to let the English go. So I I did get a Bachelor of Arts in English. And so I kind of knew what the process would be for you know, I need an editor and I'll start that. And then I joined self-publishing school, which kind of gave me the groundwork to get my first book published.
1: It sounds like um, you chose some very relevant topics at university yes. and <laughs> then helped inform your writing. I was like social anthropology, psychology and English. They're quite a good trifecta <laughs> of subjects to help with writing and like lots of different aspects. Very definitely. I kind of seem to have just picked the right
2: things that were necessary for me to write the kind of characters and worlds that I write. And definitely psychology informs my character arcs
0: a lot. (laughs) I, you know, can relate to sort of that. Like I I feel my nursing has helped me with my, my writing a lot. But yeah, I was like, wow, that is quite um, an interesting area to study and to like social anthropology to be able to create that diversity in your writing. And I'm sure, you know, as being an immigrant as well, you must have like a very, I guess, an astute awareness of your own culture and how that affects everything within like the world that you inhabit in the, the countries that you inhabit and like how you go about your day-to-day life. So I think that would be really helpful and quite interesting and make your books quite, quite colorful and diverse. Thank you for pointing
2: that out. Cause I actually recently published a book set in Sweden uh, as a urban fantasy with shifters, but hmm. that takes a look at the current situation of immigrants in Sweden and the question of belonging and not belonging Mm -hmm. in the new country, in the host country. And yes, definitely. I've drawn a lot on my own experiences and then also on my social anthropology studies in with a focus on migration and identity construction, because those are my two Mm -hmm. main focuses. And then of course, current occurrences in Sweden of the past year so it's been yeah. it's been pretty cool <laughs> it's been a bit of a roller coaster ride in terms of the reality but also a great springboard for a story that I've had sitting in the back of my mind for quite a few years now and then just suddenly everything's catalyzed and come together into this really fun series that I'm writing at the moment And a lot of readers have actually commented on the fact that not only is the experience that I portray very real in terms of their experiences of things, but it's also, they find very topical. A lot of my readers are from the States, but they still saw a lot of commonalities in what I see in Sweden.
1: Interesting. I was wondering if... Uh, Because you said before that you had written quite a lot in your late teens, and you kind of revisited them later in life. Having studied psychology and social anthropology, did you then, when you were going back through your manuscripts, have a different sort of lens? And did it require a bit of editing to make things, I guess, feel more realistic or more right? Does that make any sense? Uh, It does make sense. Uh, Well
2: admit straight up that my very first book is still a work in progress Uh, it 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 has evolved (laughs) over the years from something akin to an african version of harry potter to something bigger and more in-depth and complex than children of blood and bone okay so yeah i'm working on it (laughs) it will take some time (laughs) totally understand so, some of my other books are were a lot easier. The My first published work was something I came up with when I was 15 after reading Ella Enchanted and loving it, but also having this, oh, no, it's another Cinderella retelling, and I'm bored of Cinderella. So I'm going to write a retelling of my favorite fairy tale with the feel and the vibes of Ella Enchanted. And that one... Yes, there were a few things that I wove in during the editing stage to bring out certain themes more clearly, Mm -hmm. Uh, particularly my more adult looking back on my teenage years and kind of giving, giving advice to my teenage self because... You know, I wrote all my issues right on the page. And then I was like,
1: hey, <laughs> yeah.
2: darling, these are very cute issues. <laughs> and yes, they are important, but there is so much more to life. <laughs>
0: oh, it's so great going back to see your old writing. You know, Ashley and I both started in our teens as well and then revisited. So it's a similar kind of vein, but it's very enlightening when you read your teenage self and you're like, huh? <laughs> I feel like especially having studied you know like within psychology and that kind of area of things and and you can kind of like see the the different growth stages I feel. <laughs> I was like oh yes we didn't think we were very dramatic but we were a little bit. <laughs> yes absolutely the power of the emotional
2: brain is <laughs> yes definitely there and I did tone it down a little bit in some parts of my book but considering that my character elizabeth was 14 when the story starts yeah it was
0: it makes it nice and accurate right yeah (laughs) i left quite a lot of it (laughs) (laughs) so one of the other questions that we like to ask is especially I'm not sure if you're you're still working in the field of social anthropology or sort of what's going on there, but I know, you know, having a couple of kids as well can be quite challenging. So how do you manage to juggle sort of work home life with your writing?
2: Well, I wasn't managing and I nearly burned out. So I stopped working 10 months ago and have been job seeking, but also recovering since then. Yep. And been focusing on my books and my writing because that's what brings me joy so I probably will get a job again yes and I am thinking about well what does that mean for my writing but the thing is life is long and this is a journey so if needs must I will work again and then I will find a way to write again and you know work it out yeah it's It's tough with the kids. Absolutely. My children are in precisely that age range, seven and four, where (laughs) mummy is still needed a lot and Uh many things need to be done (laughs) during the day and there are no naps. So, So during the summer holidays, there was no writing time at all. And I had to make my peace with that. But, uh, you know, it makes things a little bit stressful now that I have a deadline looming with my editor. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't finished writing the book yet, but it's it's moving along nicely. So we're, we're
0: doing okay. That's good to hear. Definitely a challenge. Like it even is. even when the, you do have naps. I mean, like my daughter's at a stage where she won't nap anywhere except on me. So it's like yeah you know that definitely makes writing hard (laughs) i've kind of thought about trying to like write on my phone because i can manage the phone all right (laughs) but it's it's challenging because then you know like you're limited to like a phone keypad which my thumbs are not the most accurate i'm not the fastest typer on the phone so it's like And I'm deleting sentences.
2: (laughs) Yeah, I can see how that's hard. And then you also have the issue later on where what you wrote with the phone has different apostrophes to what you wrote with your future keyboard. And (laughs) this is true. That is a nightmare in and of itself. I have suffered (laughs) greatly (laughs) with the apostrophe. (laughs) Switching because I think my main issue back then was um, switching between Word and Google Drive right and there was a
0: oh, you I know, know that pain
2: the transfer didn't compute properly and so
0: all my apostrophes were wrong because well, i feel like some of them do like um i found like a thing on word where you can either keep it i can't remember what it's exactly called but it'll either do like a straight up down one or like the curly one and yes. you can kind of set the computer to do either but yeah if you're like pasting and shuffling yeah. things across sometimes you get like we had that issue at one point, actually. <laughs> I went <laughs> through a fine-tooth comb.
2: <laughs> well, my issue was that I it didn't really get properly picked up until after the book was formatted. And oh, no. fixing that in the formatting tool is even more of a nightmare <laughs> than it is oh my gosh, normally. I <laughs> so yeah. Now, as Now uh, I, I also do better reading for fellow authors and when I, whenever I see one, I'm like, you want to fix this now. <laughs> you do not want to wait
1: to fix this.
0: Oh dear. Apostrophes.
1: I've been editing an anthology over the past few weeks um, from a variety of different authors and it was in Google Drive and then it got moved into Word and it was a right. na- just a nightmare. I've never had something <laughs> so transfer, nightmarish.
2: That transfer has this issue with the with the paragraphing yes oh my god yes Yes. nightmare (laughs) Absolutely.
1: it was the biggest nightmare I was like I can't do this I can't do this I'm not good at formatting I don't know how to fix it and some I guess it depended which authors had like some of the formatting carried over from some of the author's submissions but then some had been changed to like when we formatted it all the same so it was just It's very hodgepodge. (laughs) For a final edit, this is not a good time
0: for me. Yeah. I'll pull us back on track. So what is your writing process usually like? Are you a plotter or a pantser or somewhere in between? I'm definitely in between.
2: I plot my outline. I'll even go so far as to plot chapters. You know, what happens in every chapter of the book. But then my characters do their own thing.) <laughs> I have actually found that if I wait with the outline and I actually, you know spend my time thinking, working through the snags and kind of getting my thoughts into a row, then from there, when I then write the outline, it usually sticks to it quite closely and if i need to break one chapter into two because suddenly they're off on an extra tangent <laughs> then it's okay and i can manage that within my outline i have not ever really had a scenario where i've needed to change dramatically where things are going mm-hmm. it, it might just be a, a short you know detour but then <laughs> yes, come yes. back to the main
1: the main point and, and the main plot line. Yeah. I love that you called it an extra tangent. I like, like, I totally understand that. <laughs> Gone off on their own little adventure for a while before you managed to find a way to like rein them back in again. And
2: yet those tiny little extra adventures are usually really important in terms of the character development and really showing the character for who they are and their processes. <laughs>
0: so, I go with it. Go I also feel that sometimes those tangents or like you'll you'll read a scene that you've written you'll be like how does this help move the story along we had one of those sort of scenes with our first book and then I read it and I was like well apart from giving like the readers a bit of a breather break because it's very fast paced <laughs> um, I was suddenly like oh this is like a, a huge metaphor for like everything they're going through but we hadn't even like noticed it at the time so it's interesting that sometimes those different like detours in New Zealand we have a term called a tiki tour (laughs) you're going (laughs) sort of off the beaten path if you're sort of going on one of those that some usually they have some sort of point to them even if you're not aware of them at the time
2: right definitely I I always marvel at how much our subconscious contributes to the writing process it's amazing you're
1: always like where did that come from (laughs) It was a surprise. We've touched on this a little bit already, but I was wondering if you could expand a bit on your publishing journey.
2: Right. In 2019, I decided to take the plunge and published my first book. Seeing as it was rather large and I didn't have anything else in the works at the time, uh, my mentor from self-publishing school suggested that I actually split it into two books, which was possible seeing as even though it's a complete whole, it's, it is a duology, there was a very good place to kind mm-hmm. of cut it into two stories. And it did make sense. So I crowdfunded my second book uh, with the help of my family and friends. Interesting. Because I you know, had enough to do the first one, but not enough for the editing and cover design of the second. And that was kind of where it started. I then was also at the same time doing my certification training as a life coach. And when I was sitting in my certification uh, ceremony, I had two epiphanies. One was that a story idea that I'd had years ago, where I kept getting stuck on the storyline, kind of came together as I found my missing link. And I also found the true underlying theme of all my writing, which is looking at human transformation. Because it was in my original, in my first publication, but not quite, you know, on the surface. It was sort of underlying theme that was subconsciously there. And then I realized with discovering the missing link for The Apprentice Storyteller that, this is what I write. I write how people go through this process of achieving success despite all the obstacles that stand in their path. And actually look at the principles of transformation in a way that readers could apply that if they wanted to into their own lives. And then the second epiphany was that a story idea that I'd started working on after publishing My first duology was uh, a retelling of the ballet Giselle, which kind of really worked thematically as a prequel to my original duology, because it it kind of fitted some of the things that happened in the parents' generation. And so I thought, okay, well, you know, that would be fun to write. So I'll, I'll write this retelling and during the certification i suddenly realized like where the key to the tragedy is because the ballet is a tragedy <laughs> but mine is actually a threefold tragedy because all three characters go through a tragic arc and that right. was you know like the the epiphany i had there during the training it was like this is this is it the the book is essentially the opposite of everything else I write. It is a case of the characters didn't believe in themselves and allowed s- social expectation to kind of capture them and keep them tied up and unable to achieve their potential. And
1: hence the tragedy. <laughs> it sounds like that certification process
0: was really beneficial on like a multitude of different levels. <laughs> it most certainly was very definitely. I can understand that because I've had a life coach myself. And so like, I know the types of things that they, and the types of teachings that you look at, you know, because my life coach has discussed, um, you know, different methodologies and different um, models and stuff with me. So it's just interesting because I can see how like hearing about and learning about those different models and personal transformation could help inspire writing as well often I find our talks very philosophical and <laughs> inspiring so
2: yes absolutely I it's it's kind of the thing is I, I absolutely love Paulo Coelho's books for example I love the uplifting philosophical kind of themes that he he picks up on in his books but I've always found them too philosophical there's nothing concrete that I can really apply to my own life but I'm also the kind of person who doesn't love reading self-help I mean I know I should read more of it but I don't (laughs) (laughs) I much prefer reading a novel thank you (laughs) and so it's it's kind of that the the combination of the two is Mm -hmm. I I enjoy self-help because it's Helping me become a better person, but I dislike the format that it's in as a non fiction. And so Mm, that's essentially what I I like to do with my own books is kind of combine the two ideas. So my books are very uplifting in the style of Paolo Coelho's books, but then at the same time, it actually has the steps that you could take as a reader to actually change your own life. So, for example, we've briefly talked about the Apprentice Storyteller, which is a story about a young boy who wants to become a storyteller and happens to accidentally come across the greatest storyteller of all time. And she doesn't want to have an apprentice. She wants to have she wants nothing to do with this boy. She's been on the run for most of her life and you know she doesn't have time for this, but he eventually convinces her. And it turns out that although you think that this is a story about a boy learning the art of storytelling, it is also a story, and this was the missing link, about a woman who is fixed in her beliefs, learning to open up and adjust her trajectory so that she can achieve what she really would love to do. Yeah, I And see. so they teach each other. Yeah. <laughs> and in that particular book, You know, the first part is the boy's dream. It's about, you know, he's already, you know, on his path. He's already done most of the transformative work. He kind of instinctively knows what to do. And so there the, the lessons are sort of jumbled up a bit. Yeah. But then when we shift into part two, which is Viola's journey and it's her dream where she needs to start from the beginning and do it step by step, actually each chapter in that second part of the book is dedicated to one of the lessons in the course that I teach oh cool that's really cool and so it's kind of built up in that way is that well yes you don't have to follow the structure you can do it jumbled the way the boy does but if you're starting out and doing this for the first time you might want to do it like in part two and go step for step
0: (laughs) through the process (laughs) that's really cool it's like here's an example (laughs) Yeah. but you know in a readable format that you're going to remember versus yeah. something that you're like I'm falling asleep I'm falling asleep and I should try to remember this but <laughs> somehow
2: I can't like, I've read so many self-help books where I'm like wow this is so awesome but a week later I can't remember half of what I read <laughs> yeah.
0: I think in some ways that's where like alternative formats are like great gaining so much seam, you know like podcasts like this, for example, you know, there's so much easier and more relatable to hear like a human voice just like talking about something than you know like forcing yourself to read like very, especially like the the formality of some nonfiction yeah. and structure of it. You know, kind of especially if you've studied for a while, you start like trying to skim read stuff, and you're like, no, 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 no. <laughs> I'm supposed to be learning something from this. Yeah.
2: <laughs> the- nonfiction is so heavy on the telling and the brain just shuts down
0: (laughs) but yeah I feel like nonfiction is changing though
2: which is good it is definitely it is it is also an evolving art form in a Mm -hmm. way that it's it's changed so much if we if we look at how much writing and especially fiction writing has changed in the past 200 years and things that were published that would never be published today uh, you know you can definitely yeah. see how non-fiction is also kind of being affected by the trend in changes on styles
0: of writing yeah I was wondering um, since we kind of started talking about some of your books I thought we'll continue along that path and whether you would tell us a little bit about One of your recent books, The Companion's Tale and the series, The Word Mages Tales, sounds very interesting and exciting.
2: Right. So you know about the main story, The the Apprentice Storyteller, and The Word Mages Tales is essentially the stories I'd originally planned to nest in the main novel, but then realized during that epiphany in the certification training that each of these stories is actually linked to one of the key principles and hence a short story format is not going to really allow me to tease out the true underlying theme in each of the stories. And then I decided, well, in that case, I need to write novellas and then turning it into a series of novellas makes more sense. So I took out those 10 stories, of which I have now published seven. Two more coming in the next year. So what yes. an achievement since That's
0: 2019.
2: Right. It yeah. is. <laughs> I have been constantly writing and publishing. It's been a bit crazy, which is probably also why then having a high-stress job that was very much a dead-end job in a way uh, was draining me.
0: Yeah, I can I can totally see that.
2: Push that to the side, and I can focus on my children and my writing, and I'm very happy that way. So the word major's tales are the stories that the apprentice storyteller learns and then performs in The Ah. Apprentice Storyteller. And the next book, which is coming out later this year, called Finding the Way. And so then this is the thing. You can either just read the tales, which are a sort of invented fairy tales for modern sensibilities kind of approach to life <laughs> they <laughs> cool. have fairy tale themes but they're also have different settings so where most of our concept of fairy tales are set in sort of a medieval period I've taken more Renaissance and industrialization eras okay. to, to present my fairy tales in and they provide a historical background for the world that The Apprentice Storyteller takes place in. So they're kind of cool in terms of the world building where even though they're very short, the more you read of them, the more or the bigger the picture you get of the, the whole world yep. building that I've done for the, for the whole series. And they are mostly standalones so that's also kind of fun because yeah. you can just read one and be done with it or you can read them all and have a lot of fun
0: <laughs> <laughs> with new
2: characters almost every time, which is which is also fun to write. And so you asked about The Companion's Tale. That's the first one of The Word Major's Tales. It's also my perma-free book. So it is free on all sites, including Amazon and iBooks. Barnes & Noble Nook and is available on script for example and through the library system as well and I am currently working on getting all my other books wide from, from that series so there are now in the next three months the whole series will be wide as well and The Companion's Tale is a story about a young woman who has spent her whole life doing a job that was expected of her she is the companion to the princess so she has had her whole life planned out for her she has to do what the princess does and has to do it not as well as the princess because she's there to encourage her (laughs) but she can't actually show up the princess (laughs) And, you know, her secondary function is also food taster to make sure that there's no poison.
1: Okay, cool.
2: Then the princess dies in a tragic accident. And now our dear companion is stuck with no purpose in life and she doesn't know what to do with herself. But it's also mixed with a bit of a murder mystery investigation because it turns out that the princess did not die of a true accident it was actually murder and so then we have to find out who did it
1: (laughs) that sounds like a really fun book it does both to read and write and although it is really low on the magic
2: because this particular book doesn't actually have any magical creatures or wizards or anything it is set in the same magical world that all of my other books are set in so as you read on with the other stories you'll get more of the magic because there is this dichotomy in my world building that magic exists but it's kind of few and far between the the people
0: who can actually use magic i feel like i like it being a bit more subtle like that you know like it's a little bit easier to digest maybe that's because i mean i have read the old fantasy book but Maybe that's why for me, like, I think to get into fantasy, I have to have like a lead in if it's like all, you know, very out there and crazy magic, then I'm like, I don't understand what's going on.
2: (laughs) (laughs) And and all the very difficult words that people invent (laughs) for their their magical systems. Yes, absolutely. Uh, or, Or the creatures. Because you can't just call it a goblin, because that's that's too easy. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so to that's been media. done
0: before. <laughs> yeah. So, I think something that is really um, awesome is that you are a US Today bestseller, um, and that is a huge achievement, um, especially if you've only been publishing since 2019. Like that is massive. So let's okay. just put that out there <laughs> to to begin with. Um, so congratulations. Thank you. I was wondering if you have any tips for any fellow authors and what your experience was um, becoming a USA Today bestseller and how, how have you found that journey? Right. It was a lot of luck <laughs> definitely, <laughs> and a lot of hard work.
2: But the biggest coincidence that led to all of this was the fact that a friend of mine pointed out a boxed set that was being put together, and it happened to be a list aiming boxed set in my subgenre of fairy tale retellings, because my original um, duology is a retelling, and then I had the Giselle retelling, so this is now the third book or the the third fairy tale in that set. Right, and participating in a group of authors who were aiming for the USA Today bestseller listing. It was, I was definitely the newbie in the group. I was completely out of my depth. There was so much that I didn't know that I needed to do (laughs) and figured out. (laughs) It It was a huge undertaking, but definitely has helped me grow as an author very, very much. And one of the things I'm most grateful for about that that experience was actually that they decided to have the proceeds for charity so instead of doing this list aiming set and then trying to do it for profit where you'd have to split the the takings between over 20 authors yeah that would be so tough (laughs) (laughs) they instead decided to make a big donation to a charity and they picked a um, autism charity, and since there's actually a chance that one of my family members was autistic, um, just high functioning, and that because of that never diagnosed. And then my studies in psychology kind of I was like, this Asperger's syndrome is that person's behavior. <laughs> so right. I. I Kind of like that. That was really important for me as well because, you know, was it was an opportunity to give back to a group of people who are very marginalized and not well recognized, and neurodivergence is is still so badly understood that Mm -hmm. you know being able to support that as well as aiming for the USA Today bestseller listing was you know was a perfect combination for me because it was this opportunity to actually use my writing for good yeah and that definitely opened my eyes to possibilities for writing because of the huge success that we had so we hit the list at I think it was 110 which is pretty good for an independently published book or Mm -hmm. set in this case yeah and then uh, we we managed to raise over five thousand five hundred
1: dollars for the charity well. Oh, amazing. Uh, it was like, awesome. <laughs> That's such a cool initiative. I really like yeah. that. It, it is, is. It's It's not like, like splitting it between a whole bunch of authors. Like that. It's not going to like be yeah. that substantial, right? But it does make a big difference to a charity. So I really love that sentiment.
2: Yeah, and since then, I've actually been part of several charity anthologies, just much smaller scale. None, none of yeah. them have have been on the scale of trying to aim for for USA Today bestseller. But they've all made a difference. And that's, that's important too. Because, you know, I always thought that, well, when I eventually make it, I'll then be able to start donating to causes that interest me. Well, no, that's not true. I can actually write and have those stories specifically raising money for a cause. And that is cool. It is really cool.
0: It just, it does really um, expand your mind as to how far you can reach with your writing. And I mean, there's one thing like writing morals into your story, but it's a completely other thing to actually make some like a physical and tangible difference in somebody's life by donating proceeds. So Mm. I think that's really cool.
1: So that's a, quite a good space, I think, to start rounding up as well with a really nice sentiment. So, do you have any other projects on the horizon that you wanted to talk about? I have so much going on. It's <laughs> quite.
2: It feels insane that I've always got another another thing going. But my next release is in December this year. It's Finding the Way, which is the next book in following on from the Apprentice Storyteller. And completing the story arc for the storyteller herself. I will be continuing the series about the Apprentice in the years to come, but for the time being, I'm just going to have these two books and finish up the Word Major's Tales, which I will be doing by 2024. Because <laughs> so, there's still three books to publish. Yeah. So I'm I'm focusing on those. And then there are my my crazy charity anthology groupies <laughs> who I hang out with all the time uh, w- weren't satisfied with just one anthology for environmental conservation so we're now turning it into a series uh, this year we <laughs>
1: <laughs> sounds like a very busy schedule for the next year or so at least yeah, not to mention I looking forward into the future flames which will that's awesome. i th- we haven't quite chosen our
2: our charity yet but it looks like it's going to have to be one of the ones in the US because they don't there is actually no umbrella organization that supports people threatened by wildfires internationally. mhm which is kind of sad because i would love to also support australia but yeah. um you have to kind of you know
0: it's it's california or australia you can't do both <laughs> so, <laughs> i feel like even canada you know here we have we yeah. had recently i think um some wildfires that it's becoming a caused big problem evacuations everywhere. yeah yeah
2: it's it's quite big and then that that's not not enough either because we need to do enchanted skies too and there's another Ten store title ideas that have been floating around. So who knows when the enchanted anthologies will ever end? But for the time <laughs> being, I'm I'm committed to two more books. I actually have story ideas for both of them. So I'll be writing a retelling of the Firebird for Enchanted Flames, and a retelling of Star Money, which is a lesser known Grim fairy tale, uh, for Enchanted Skies, and then. Then we'll see what happens after that.
0: Enchanted Seas.
2: <laughs>
1: well,
0: <laughs>
2: Enchanted Waters was the very first one. Yeah. And, and Oceans, it, it supports ocean conservation through Oceana, who um, actually focus on sustainable fishing and protecting certain regions of the ocean from fishing. Yeah.
1: Very cool. Um, so, where can people find your books, and how can people get in touch with you?
2: Right, so all my books are available on Amazon, and they are listed by series or just you can find them through my author author page. I also have the fairy tale retelling series, which is called Elizabeth and Edward's World uh, Wide. So those books are available pretty much anywhere in ebook format and yeah so I think the easiest way to to connect with me would be through Instagram which is where I'm the most active on on the social media platforms my Instagram handle is astrid.v.j underscore author underscore official and from there in the bio link you can get all of my links which is also helpful in finding the books Uh, the companion's tale for example is quite high up on on my list of links uh, as it's a free free book and if anyone's interested in reading the next book in that series the sewing princess is free when you sign up to my newsletter and exclusive to my newsletter at the moment so you can't actually get it anywhere else and then the other books are commercially available as i mentioned
0: Awesome. Well, thank you very much for coming on the show today. It's been really interesting um, talking to you about your writing process and your books and the anthologies that you've been part of and the box set. Like It seems like you've had a very expansive and very interesting journey in a very short, compact amount of time. I mean, even though you've been writing for a long time, to do that much publishing is just like amazing. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it yeah. is.
2: It's a bit crazy. And I'm definitely considering toning things down a little for the coming years that, you know, only two charity sets a year. <laughs> so <if> I <laughs> just publish another one earlier um, last month. So yeah. it's, it's been a, it's a lot of work, especially when you manage the charity set, um, <laughs> but <laughs> it's definitely worthwhile as well. Uh, the, the multi-genre anthology that I put together for the children of Ukraine has been, you know, very rewarding work, even if it came at a very bad time. You know, couldn't Russia have picked any other time yeah. to just leave Ukraine alone? But okay, oh, no. couldn't leave Ukraine alone, so we <laughs> we did our best to make a difference. Um, yeah, it's yeah. World world events are pretty pretty crazy at the moment so yeah,
1: yeah definitely
2: <laughs> please universe please don't send me any more books i need to do now <laughs> i need a break <laughs> um, so thank you so much for having me it's been lovely to chat and to get you know you too as well and i look forward to listening to your
0: podcast a little bit more <laughs> yeah we look forward to seeing how your career goes in the future and um yeah it's gonna be an interesting one i'm sure like we've seen starting off with such a bang <laughs> yes. thank you so much
1: so if you would like to be on an author spotlight section like astra just has been uh you can go to our website LindersonCreations.com, uh, to apply you can just hover your mouse over the podcast tab and you should get a drop down link uh to fill out a form.
0: And next time on Dear Writer, we have another one of our craft episodes where we will be tackling the topic of building tension in your writing. Um, if
1: you'd like to know more about us or any of our writing projects, you can visit us at lindersoncreations.com or get in contact with us on Facebook or Instagram under the handle lindersoncreations.
0: And if you enjoy the show, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts and su- subscribe on your podcatcher of choice. And we'll be back next week. Happy writing, everyone.